Hello, and welcome to A Smart Financial Plan, where we interview the best and brightest in financial planning research about their studies and the best practices financial planners can use to enhance the financial lives of their clients. Today, we're interviewing Dr. Luter with Kansas State University, who has conducted research into the conversations couples can have about money, reducing their stress and increasing financial satisfaction. I think you'll find her findings helpful in your own client conversations, and you'll find the conversation models she used in the study in the show notes. Enjoy. Well, Dr. Luter, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work, uh, what your background is? Sure. So my name is Sonia Luter, and I work at Kansas State University in the Little Apple. Some people don't know that we are the Little Apple, so that's a fun fact. And my background is in financial planning, but also marriage and family therapy. Right now, I am the department head of Applied Human Sciences. So it has a number of different programs within it, including couple and family therapy, conflict resolution, human development, early childhood education. So more of that people side of things and personal financial planning is still a very strong passion of mine though. Certainly. And so you have done a lot of research over the years in a number of areas, uh, but today we're talking about one of your more recent publications. Uh, What was that one called? It's called Love and Money Curriculum. Okay, quite the evocative title there. So what made you want to research the, the those kind of broad stroke topics like love and money? I think it, for the listeners, they might be able to guess based off of what I said for my educational background. But when I was getting ready to graduate with my bachelor's degree, I had no idea how to talk with couples if they started arguing or crying in my office. And that made me very nervous. So that's how I made my way into the couple and um, family therapy program. And once I was there, it was really fascinating to me that none of my peers in therapy wanted to talk about money. If a couple came in and even started down the road of having money conversations, they more or less shut it down and and focused on something else. And so it was really clear to me that we needed some sort of Um, method of combining these two fields more directly and providing resources to people from the therapy side or the financial planning side to have a conversation with couples. Most of the time, people just don't even know how to start the conversation at all. Sure. Now, when you say uh, your colleagues are having difficulty having these money conversations or we're just avoiding it entirely, are you talking about uh, or or therapists not wanting to have conversations about money or planners not wanting to have emotional money conversations? Yeah. When I said it, I was talking only about the therapist not wanting to have the financial conversations, but I've seen it on the other side too. So I'm glad you brought that up, that planners tend to want to shut down the conversation if there's any sort of emotion that comes up. I think it's different, especially in 2020. We've all come to recognize emotions and be able to uh, maybe address emotions a little bit easier than what we have in the past. However, I have had planners tell me as recently as last year that if a if they had a client who started crying in their office, they would definitely just reschedule the meeting and pick up the conversation at a different point in time. 
Yeah. And, and it's, it's certainly a thing I think planners are working on across the board, right? How do we become closer to our clients in general? Uh, I think particularly as we transition from being more of a sales-based uh, profession to a service-based profession, right? We're working with people long-term versus transactionally, and I think that becomes more important. So what, what became the thing that made you want to research this topic? What was the, I guess, the problem or the gap in our understanding so far? Yeah, I don't think that we really had any idea of how to have conversations. This is mostly on the planning side. How do you even have conversations about the emotions as it relates to money? And really, when I was looking through the research, trying to find any sort of template or guide or curriculum or class or tip sheet or anything that you want to call it, it just didn't exist. So that's what got me interested in this topic. And it's something really I've been building on for the last 10 years for all of my uh, professional background is trying to develop something that you could just pick up and apply it with your clients. You don't really have to have a lot of background knowledge, something that has that empirical base, the science behind it, that you know that it will produce positive outcomes for your clients. Sure. And, and has there ever been any prior research in this area or was it more research on couples in general, maybe avoiding money and research on how to talk to clients, but not about more emotional topics? That's exactly right. And uh, some of my very early research was on the predictors of money arguments among couples. And then how does that predict relationship satisfaction and divorce? There's a lot of research if you will, that says that uh, money is the number one predictor of divorce. Of course, those of you who might have a academic background know that you can twist research to say what you wanted to say. So some of that research is a little um, iffy in my opinion because they're only looking at certain topics as it predicts divorce. Sure. So, but there is definitely, um, a sufficient amount of evidence to suggest that money is a top predictor of divorce. So we did, we knew all of that, but we didn't really know how to intervene and, and maybe provide some sort of guidance to reduce the relationship stress this was causing for couples. Sure. So I guess, what was your hypothesis when you started this research project? What do you, what did you think the outcome might be? I was hoping that it would be a reduction in stress and an increase in couples' general satisfaction after engaging in this series of conversations about money. Well, tell me a little bit more about that. How, how, what were those conversations or how was that done? Yeah, so uh, I think it's really important to clarify that this particular study that we're talking about, I was one of the participants in the study, so I was one of the facilitators, which does introduce a bit of a bias. So I had a hypothesis of what I thought would be the outcome. And so one could say perhaps I influenced the the results. I really wanted them to experience lower stress. I really wanted them to experience greater satisfaction. I also had two graduate students working with me on this project. So there were three of us as the facilitators, all working with different couples, of course, but all three of our groups uh, had similar outcomes. So that was a really good step. And I know you didn't ask me to talk about this, but I'm going to introduce another study too, sure. to where we followed up with this and I was not a facilitator and I didn't, uh, I didn't tell 
three additional facilitators anything about the prior results. I just said, would you be willing to use this curriculum with your clients? And it was one, a certified financial planner, not an academic academics at all. He was just just a financial planner and also a practicing marriage and family therapist. And then I also included a student and actually it was an undergraduate student. So she didn't really have a lot of background in facilitation of one-on-one -on -one meetings or any therapy background at all. She was simply a student who was interested in uh, her what she wanted to do was be a youth pastor. So that was kind of her bent on things. And even more fascinating is that all three of those sets of clients had the same results as we did when it was me and my two graduate students. So that was really exciting that this was transferable to people without prior background and very different backgrounds. The, the marriage and family therapist who did it with her clients, she didn't have any financial background at all. And the certified financial planner who engaged his clients with the curriculum, he also did not have a background in therapy. So it was really fascinating that both of those groups had similar responses as well as what we had. So, um, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I mean, that, that really says something about the efficacy of that curriculum. And, and obviously, you know, if we could do it a thousand times or 10,000 times, we, we would know more. But the fact that you could hand it to a therapist who, who's not financial, that's like financially strong, who, who could, but it's effective there, or a financial planner who's not a therapist or even a student who's neither um, is, a, is a pretty interesting outcome as far as kind of the, the efficacy goes. Can you tell us maybe a little bit more about what those interventions or that curriculum look like? Sure. And it really has to do with just getting the conversation. And I think that getting the conversation started, and that really is the key element. You do not serve as the expert in this role. You are simply the facilitator getting the conversation going. So there were, there's actually very little related to financial planning. It's all about the values, the beliefs, the the goals that the couple has together. Uh, one of the activities that I saw really transformative change in was who was doing what. So it seems really silly, and I can imagine some of the listeners are thinking, oh, I would never do this. But if you could just modify it to where it fits you personally, I think you will find a lot of value in it. The way I did it was had the couples um, put their backs to one another so they couldn't see each other. And then they held up cards, that's you or that's me, each of them. And I would ask them easy questions to start out with. Who takes out the trash? Who, who makes dinner? Who plans the meals? And then it got progressively harder or more directly related to financial stuff. Who balances the checkbook? Who decides the long-term financial investments? and so on and so forth. And then we came together and I told them generally how each of them, where they were similar and where they were different. And even where they were similar, so they both said uh, it was the husband's role, for instance. So the husband said, that's me. And she said, that's him. That was still a very informative conversation. So there was one particular couple that I worked with to where they both said that he was in charge of the checkbook. And I said, how is this working for you? Do you like it? Is there anything you all want to change? I told you where you were similar and your responses and different. 
And she, for the very first time, spoke up and said, I've been wanting to know more about our uh, short-term financial situation. Like, where is our money? I don't even know what the password is to our mortgage account. And it was really enlightening because he said, I didn't know you wanted to know. He said, that's just the way it's always been. I've just been doing it. And, you know, they had other circumstances 10 years ago. So it, it didn't make sense at that time for her to do it. But now she wanted to be involved, but they had just never even started that conversation. Sure. And that was transformative in multiple ways because then it led into the conversation about how they wanted to adjust their spending as a couple. And she felt more informed. He felt like he could have a conversation like we're overspending in this area or I would really like to save more in this area. And, and again, the facilitator really did nothing in that situation besides for illuminate them to what was happening. Sure. Now, with all the couples or, or with the majority of the couples you were studying, would you say they were, were high conflict, low conflict, or, you know, high anxiety, low anxiety? What, what was the, I guess, who, if, we're, if we were to apply this to our own clients, who would our clients be that this was most effective for? Yeah, I, that's a really important question. And uh, being in the Midwest, a lot of the clients looked very similar to one another, as you might imagine. They all volunteered to be in this study. And they knew what the content generally was because we asked them, would you like to participate in a love and money curriculum? So they knew it was going to have to do with their relationship. And given that it had the word love in it, I don't think that we were attracting very many high conflict couples. We did assess their stress levels, their perceived stress and their physiological stress. And generally speaking, they were not highly stressed at all, which again is not surprising. But I don't think that that would be much different than financial planning clients per se, given that they have opted into seeking advice. So you might catch them at a high stress moment. That's completely rational, but they also are willing to look at their situation. And I think that's probably the important thing there. We did have some same sex couples, but generally they were heterosexual couples. Not all were married. Uh, the average duration of relationships, so relationship being when they were living in a household together, whether married or not married, was around um, I didn't look at this detail before we got on the call, but I think around eight years. But there were certainly some couples who were together for only a couple of years. And one in particular I can remember was, had been married for 15 years. So it was really uh, pretty vastly distributed in terms of relationship duration. Some of them had kids, some of them did not. They were highly educated in general, which again is not surprising given our community in Manhattan, uh, largely Caucasian as well. So I would say if you have clients that are vastly different than those characteristics, we don't know if it would work. I would love for people to try it and let me know what the outcomes are. Uh, I have a feeling it would be applicable. We did get some really great feedback. Uh, there are multiple iterations of this study. And each time we revised the curriculum to, in regards to what some of the couples gave us information about, it was very highly skewed towards couples with children in the beginning, and we reduced that. We did also reduce some of the language when it referred to marriage and just said relationship because we did have a number of people who were not married. 
but in a serious, long-term committed relationship. So I would be interested in hearing how other clients might react to the curriculum and any feedback they might like to share. Sure. And, and you've talked about sort of the positive impacts, but how, how do we measure that? Or what, I guess, was you know, from point A where they started the outcome when they reached point B when it was over? Yeah, um, kind of two separate areas, one on the stress side and one on the satisfaction side. So on the stress side, we looked at relationship stress and financial stress. And what we found was that stress decreased from the time when they very first came in for their very first session meeting with us. And then it decreased at the end of the curriculum, which was generally five weeks. It was five modules or lessons. Some people took longer than others, like maybe it took eight, eight weeks because they had to miss a couple of weeks in, in the middle. Um, but at the end of the completion of the curriculum, their stress, financial and relationship declined, which um, for those of you who are maybe more astute to research, like that's obvious, of course they did. I mean, they just finished it. You're testing them an immediate recall of how they felt. What's even more remarkable is we tested them again three months later. We just sent them surveys via email and said, we, it was the exact same survey as what they did before they started, after they finished the curriculum. And the stress remained lower than what it did when they very first came in um, to start the curriculum three months later on the financial side and the relationship side. So that was really exciting. And again, that applied not only to the couples that I worked with and my two graduate students, but also those three other facilitators that I mentioned that didn't know what the results should be, uh, what we hypothesized the results to be. Um, the satisfaction side, we looked at um, um, relationship satisfaction, we looked at uh, financial satisfaction, and we also looked at happiness with chores, which kind of seems like an odd thing, but it's one of those things in the literature that is very predictive of relationship satisfaction and even divorce if I feel like my, if, if we're not equal and I'm doing more than my fair share. So it seems like a really key element to look at in terms of what might be happening. And we found similar results that happiness and satisfaction increased from the time they came in to start the curriculum and immediately after finishing the curriculum, but it was not statistically significant three months later they were still technically higher in happiness than when they very first started the curriculum. It didn't decrease, but it also didn't increase statistically um, in that three-month time period. Okay. So you, you've sort of inferred what the, the next steps might be, but where does this research take us? What, what becomes study 2.0? Yeah, definitely more diverse groups. We had very little racial diversity, which is extremely important and something that we were, are very passionate about trying to engage in. Um, I think another really important thing is going to be um, in the post or middle COVID era, how does this 
uh, hold up with when people are dealing with so many extra stressors than what they have ever had to deal with before. And we might even want to modify the curriculum a bit to address some of those stressors that didn't exist previously. Like for instance, for me, uh, elementary school is different every single day. I never know what it's gonna be like when I wake up. A child in my oldest class was tested positive over the weekend. So that has a cascading effect for weeks to come. And I think that is definitely going to play a toll on couples and how they navigate that and the financial ramifications of that if they're not able to work from home or they're not able to take um, sick leave. I think this is going to be a really important time in terms of relationship satisfaction and financial stress and financial satisfaction. Sure. One other study that we engaged upon that I could definitely be expanded is a self-study option. We did engage in a very limited self-study curriculum and the results were not great, but it was also really high attrition. There were maybe 30 couples who started out in the study and we ended with a handful. And so, I mean, that's pretty telling in and of itself that they weren't engaged. And, and now that we're used to more virtual means for all sorts of things, it might be more feasible to try that again with different formatting than what we tried before. Um, maybe even doing meetings over virtual, whether that's video or telephone or other things that we've all adopted to in the last year. I think that would be a really fascinating next step as well. Sure. So I'm a financial planner. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to talk to financial planners today. So what can I take from the curriculum or from the study or just the findings in general uh, and try to apply with my clients today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really start the conversation. Don't be afraid to ask about emotions. Don't be afraid to ask about stress. I think it would be really wise for financial planners to be explicit and start each meeting. What is the newest stressors that are going on for you? We experience an average of 50 to 200 stressors per day. Uh, this was pre-COVID too, so I'm sure it's got to be higher now than what it was before. But Pre this older research on the 50 to 200 stressors per day equates to about a new stressor every eight minutes that we're awake. And that that does take a toll on couples. And if they are stressed, they are not going to engage in long-term thinking. So if they're coming in to see you as the financial planner and they've got some stressor rolling around in their brain, they could care less what you're talking about in terms of investments or what their retirement goals are. They do not care about that. So being explicit, asking them where they are, ask them if we need to talk about anything else before you jump into whatever your agenda is. Let the client lead the meeting. Let the client be the expert. It's really quite simple to test a person's stress level. Uh, we know from physiological stress research that the extremities of our body get cold when we are stressed. Um, it's just the way our bodies were built to fight or flight. And so when you shake your client's hands, if you're still doing that, if you're still meeting in person at all, you can tell if their hands are cold to the touch. And if they are, you know you need to ask what's going on and address whatever that other issue is, even if you don't get to your agenda. 
Sure. And and one could probably argue sort of to the point that you made, right? If your client is that stressed, your agenda is sort of irrelevant, right? You know, we're here to talk about your taxes, but you're, you're not going to hear me. So certainly exactly. making sure that we're taking the time to hear our clients is really valuable. Yep. Um, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you think planners should be thinking about or that they should know right now as, as applies to their practice? Um, I probably wouldn't have mentioned this if we had done this uh, podcast last year, but I think it's really important for financial planners to recognize the impact that stress is having on themselves as well, because we do know that stress is transferable. So if you're in a high stress situation, your clients are going to pick up on this. This is other research that I've done before with financial planners. And what we see is that when the financial planners physiological stress is elevated, so is that of their clients. So I would just say, recognize what's going on for you. Be willing to have these own conversations with yourself and your partner, if applicable, and and be comfortable with talking about the emotions and um, the um, stress associated with that. Sure. Well, thank you, doctor. Uh, it was great to have you here today. Yeah, thank you, Daniel.